Welcome to the Unbiased Investing Podcast. Back again with Mike Baker, as always. And today we're going to talk about a couple of things in the market, uh, the most recent week and our outlooks moving forward. Again, a disclaimer, as always, this podcast is just our opinion, not financial advice. Please don't take it as such as me and Michael may have interest financially in the stocks we discuss on the podcast. With that said, Michael, we might as well jump into it. I hear you had a few questions this week on your Instagram or your Twitter, and people had asked you some questions about your opinion. So why don't you go ahead and tell us what you were asked and you, you can uh, dive into your answers there. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. So yeah, a couple of good questions that came by me, just pretty basic fundamental questions, but I thought it'd be good to go over them, give our opinion on them for definitely be helpful for other people out there too. So the first question was about, you know, I have a lot of cash in my account. I do not know how to start investing in individual stocks and where to put it as well. In the past, I've put money into traditional mutual funds and I do not want to do that anymore. So what should I do? And this is kind of my opinion on it and kind of knowledge I have. So first one, one has to remember that, you know, cash today loses value over time due to inflation. So this is the overall increase in prices. So by sitting on a large pile of cash in your account, you really are not benefiting, benefiting yourself that much. Um, it's losing value. And as well, you have an opportunity cost, which is a premium you could get in the market. Um, as far as mutual funds go too, my understanding is that they're slowly dying. ETFs are taking over. So if you don't have the time to do research on individual stocks, then you may want to consider or choosing you know, a few ETFs to invest in, which you can choose by, you know, a specific industry, a theme, for example. So one example would be ARC's Innovation ETF, which manages a portfolio of disruptive technology companies, and they manage that for you. And, you know, lately they have really outperformed the market by large margin. So active ETF investing has become very popular. You know, a lot to do with Kathy Wood and ARC's success. And, but the advantage, the main advantage of ETFs that I want to get across is that they do trade like stocks so that you can buy them similar to how you'd buy a stock. They, you know, their price fluctuates day to day and you can invest in them directly through your self-directed trading account. You don't have to go through your personal bank, which is that what you have to do for mutual funds as well. Mutual funds carry much higher fees and costs, which if you look, if you look on it as a, from a long-term perspective, the return can really diminish as well. Often requires a minimum investment of say, it could be 500,000, 10,000, whatever. Whereas an ETF, you can start with a lot, you know, lost cap, a lot less capital up front. So mm -hmm. definitely would consider maybe looking into ETFs if you don't have the time, but to do your own individual research. But that's just kind of my view on that question. What about you, Jesse? Yeah, so my take would be, I agree with you, like if you're new to investing and you don't want to pick individual stocks, which I wouldn't recommend because if you're new to investing, you likely do not know how to truly value a company. Um, you wouldn't be to have a high conviction in the stocks that you do pick. And then if those stocks do fall in value, you'll, you're likely going to panic and sell those stocks, which is exactly what we don't want to do. So for that reason, I would just pick an ETF that buys the entire market, like the VTI, the Vanguard Total Index, 
and or total stock market index and you can buy the entire market it's not going to go up 100 percent in a year but you're not going to lose a ton of value either you're going to be able to capture the gains across the entire market and it has extremely low management fees when you're buying index funds typically what eats your return is those high fees that you pay and the low and the low price feed etf ETFs are probably the best way over the long term to make sure you're getting the best bang for your buck. So you want to focus on ETFs that have a broad-based exposure and have a very small management fee somewhere likely under under 0.5% uh, MER, which is a uh, 50 basis point uh, management fee. So I would say that's my target. Some ETFs, if they're more focused on a specific industry, like ARCs ETFs will be higher. They'll be up in the 1% range, which is still fine, I think. But for the majority of your money, you do want to focus on minimizing that management fee as most of these ETFs are going to be very, very similar in their exposure. Yeah, exactly. And if you can learn how to invest in them directly yourself too, you can save some costs rather than have somebody else professionally do that for you. So, mm -hmm. and in Canada, we don't have many um, commission-free brokerages. Like Quest Trade is one example. I think, or sorry, Quest Trade is the is the brokerage I use. But um, Well Simple is our commission-free brokerage in Canada. But for most of the banks in Canada, as well as Quest Trade, when you buy an ETF, you actually don't have to pay a commission that you would on an individual stock. So there's another benefit there. You can buy in really small increments and you don't have to worry about that commission fee. Yeah, correct. Uh, so yeah, so I'll move on to the second question here. Sure. So the second question was around, you know, how, so if a stock price goes down, how buying more shares could lower my average costs. What does that mean? And how could that make up for losses quicker? So I looked into this. I mean, this is pretty fundamental, but I, I just want to give an example. So let's say you bought a stock at $1.50. After a week, has dropped in value to $1.20, and your thesis has not changed. Nothing has fundamentally changed about the company. Then you may want to cons you may consider buying more shares, which lowers your average costs because you're buying it lower than you purchasely, pre purchasely bought it at, which how has this reduced the gain you need to earn back to make up for that loss? Well, it can reduce the gain you need to earn back to make up for that loss because you got that lower average cost. And also it increases your potential future dollar return as now you own more shares. So if you're worried about stock, I guess one advice I'd give, if you're worried about some a stock you know, going past a certain value, you could set a stop loss, which automatically um, maximizes your kind of loss on a stock. So you can look into that. If the stock drops in value, but it's still above your average cost, then it may not make sense to buy more shares unless you see more value in the stock and wish you would have bought more before. Uh, or if you lose confidence in a company, something changes, then that's when you may sell, you know, your entire position. The point I want to get across is that, you know, if you, if you, if a stock does go down, you know, say 2% in a day, doesn't mean you have to buy more shares. It's, you, you really, it's depends if you see, you know, a discount there or if you, something's changed, then, you know, you can always make, make a change there. But I guess the question really was, how is this lower your average cost? Well, you're just buying it lower than you bought it before. That's really all it is. Yeah. So, so what is your take on that? 
there's an analogy that I want to give here and it's just buying a house, right? Like typically when we invest in a company, we have a long-term outlook and it's that we want to hold this company for a long period of time and we want to be owners and stewards of the company, right? So I think of that like buying a house. When you go out and you're looking to buy a house, you're looking for your dream home, this perfect thing. It's the same thing I'm doing when I'm doing my due diligence on a company, right? Like I'm trying to understand this company and see how they're going to be successful over the long term and really believe in their mission. And once I do that, you know, I put a fair value, I believe, for that company. And I buy I either buy it at that value or close to that value. And then that's like buying a house. If I buy this house for $300,000 or I'm looking to buy it at $300,000, if it drops to $200,000, well, I'm not going to panic and sell the house because it's, you know, it's providing me, I still believe in it. I still want it. It's still a good asset for me to own. Nothing instrumental has changed about that house other than the price it's selling for. And so in that market condition in real estate, everyone's like, oh, well, go out and buy more houses because your risk has went down, right? Like, you know, the future returns of the real estate market is likely going to be higher if it just suffered a major drop. And the same theory applies to the stock market and the stock. So if you're getting it at that discounted value, you actually can expect your future returns from that point to be much better than when you bought it at the higher price. So you're actually limiting your risk when you're buying in after a drop or at least reducing that risk. Now, it, one, it does matter what caused the price to drop. If it was some fundamental change with the company, you know, if you relate that to a house, maybe the foundation started to crack or something and it's going to be a significant problem in real estate, well, that same thing applies to stocks where, you know, maybe their user growth has flattened. Like that's a fundamental change for the business that, that can be tough and that can make a stock, a stock drop. And sometimes there it is justified, but uh, I just think people don't necessarily think of their investments in the stock market the same way they think of their investments in other assets, which is really how we should be thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the point I wanted to make. And that that was a great way to sum it up. Okay. So I guess one of the things that I had heard recently, um, it was on a podcast I was listening to. uh, And I think it was said by Rob Townsend, the CEO of Camber Capital in Calgary. And he mentions, you know, that everyone talks about the power of compounding in the financial markets and how compounding is really like what generates these massive returns over the long run. You don't need to be looking at a hundred, hundred percent return in a year. You just get that 10 to 20% return that the stock market gives and compounding over time, you will have so much money. You won't know what to do with it. Well, he brings up this point that our negative um, behaviors in the market compound as well. So if you, the way I took it is that if you make a bad decision and you take a super risky investment, and lose 10% of your capital when you're young, like I am, obviously I can take more risk and it can give me better returns over the long term. But if I lose 10% 10 of my capital now, it may not be that much money to me now as I'm still generating a lot of income and continue to fund my accounts. But the growth of that 10% over a significant period of time is a substantial amount of money. And losing that, you you do need to view it over the long term, that 10% can no longer compound for you. And so you really, really do need to assess your risk tolerance 
and make sure that you're not taking excessive risks with your money because stunting that growth early on can have a massive impact on your retirement plan in 20, 30 years. So, yeah, I don't know. Have you put any thought into that one, Michael? No, I think just a lot of people do forget about the power of compounding. So just keep that in your mind and yeah, Mm -hmm. I have nothing else to add. I just think it's normally referenced as such a positive thing. And it was interesting to hear the negative take on the possibility, possibility of bad decisions also compounding over time. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting. Uh, Another point I had here was that an interesting quote I heard and it talks about our personal experiences and here on unbiased investing, obviously we try and reduce our biases in the market as much as we can, although sometimes it's truly impossible to be fully unbiased. Um, But this quote goes on and says, your personal experience in the market makes up 0.001% of how the financial markets work, but they make up 80% of how you believe they actually work. And so I see this trend with retail investors, people that are new to the market, and they've been in the market for three to six months or maybe a year. And, you know, there's just certain aspects of the market that they think they've seen perform well and they get super high conviction in those areas of the market and they think it would be ridiculous to have your money in small cap value when large cap growth has been outperforming over the last year and they just think all their money should be in this one kind of um, area of the market because it's been outperforming over a short term period and they just get so biased in favor of that one kind of asset class. And I just think that can be extremely dangerous. You're uh, inducing yourself to more risk. And so I just want to make sure that people understand that their recent experience in the market should not impact their decisions going forward and that they should really dig into the broader data that we've experienced from a, like the 150 last 150 years in the market that we have data on and realize that all of these different asset classes over a long period of time work out to have very similar returns. So you do really want to broaden your diversity there and maintain a, a good risk adjusted rate of return in your portfolio. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was going to fall on that point. So you know, personally, I do, I really like investing in small caps, but I do know, and so recently the returns on small caps have largely outperformed, uh, mainly because they largely out- underperformed in 2020. And in the last six months, they've, they've covered this gap from the last five years. The Russell 2000 actually has a higher return than the S&P in the last five years. However, in the last six months, you can look at the return. It's 47% for the Russell 2000 and 19% for the S&P 500. On the three return, they're even. So it's kind of the short term. So like, I guess the point here is diversify, right? Look at the long-term data. Like Jesse mentioned, they end up pretty similar. Uh, value has always kind of outperformed in the long term as well. So that's you just don't, you really want to diversify and, you know, you can easily get caught in that trap too of small caps is that you think, Oh, a dollar, the stock's trading at a dollar. It could easily go up to 10, a lot easier than a stock can go from 
30 to 50, you know what I mean? Or 30 to 40. Yeah. And I think a lot of people make that kind of rookie mistake. It's just not true, right? Like, yeah. For a hundred million dollar company to grow their revenue by 30% is just as hard as a billion dollar company to grow theirs 30%. Like, it depends on the stage of development of the company, like how long they've been around and what their total addressable market is. But that idea of, oh, well, this company's worth 50 million, so it could easily hit a billion and I could 20x my investment. That's just not sound logic, right? Like, there's so much more that goes into it than that. There's a reason why it's valued at $50 million. If yeah. investing was that easy, why would you ever own Apple or Amazon or Google or these trillion dollar companies if you think there's no runway for them? Like that's just, exactly. it's just not right. So. Yeah, exactly. And like, I really do like getting companies early too, right? In that dollar range, but I got to have a target price. I got to understand, you know, what the potential growth is for this company. Otherwise I'm just relying on this, company to you know jump to twenty dollars a share or something just because it's so small right well one one thing i like about small caps is they seem like their businesses are a lot simpler a lot of the time they don't have nearly as many product streams there's uh just less to analyze and so when you do do a due diligence on the company they're a lot easier to understand and you can truly see the value of a lot of them but i know personally for myself like some of these larger companies the reason why they're so big is because they've been able to expand and grow and remain innovative. And they have some of the best leadership teams in the world. And so who am I to decide if they're going to be a good company to invest in when they're way more brilliant than I am, the people within the company, but for small caps are easier to understand. But personally, if I'm investing in a small cap riskier stock, I just make my position size smaller. And then I still get to learn from my investment my due diligence but i just don't have a significant exposure because i know i make mistakes in the market i'm just not perfect when it comes to analyzing companies and most of these ceos and board members you know they have way better ideas than i do when i'm thinking this company could expand into this marketplace and come up with this new product and you know that would be beneficial they're way ahead of me thinking of that so yeah exactly uh, when I invest in a, a small cap, I also like to, you know, go a smaller percentage, say like 5% of my portfolio. And if it runs up, which my hope is it does, I'll cut back and kind of set a target, a target percentage I want in my portfolio. And that's how much I know how to sell. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I do that as well. I kind of quarterly maybe look at the allocation of certain stocks and trim them back as necessary. And that's the same time where you can add on to your ones that have been losing. I mean, if nothing fundamentally has changed uh, with the company and you think they've been executing based on your thesis, well then if the stock price is lower now than when you bought it, you should have a uh, higher conviction now, especially if you've been following the company for a couple of quarters and reading their news releases and paying attention to their earnings calls and if that's following kind of the target you had for the business, well, then definitely add in more. I know that's when I increase my positions and get some of my largest positions and some of my best returns. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, almost wrapping it up here, Michael. I think uh, Q4 of 2020 has surprised us all. To date, 83.7% of the companies that reported Q4 earnings uh, in the S&P 500 
have beat analyst expectations. So I know obviously the stock market's reacting. We're near all-time highs as we speak. Um, but I mean, that's a pretty bullish point to me. I see the economy recovering. The jobs numbers are still down quite a bit from where they were at the start of the coronavirus. But uh, what's your take on the market moving forward in 2021? Yeah, so honestly, I think the market is very strong. Uh, interest rates are expected to remain low, which makes you know equities very attractive. Like you said, earnings have been crushing. So Amazon, Apple, Google, Facebook, the big fang stocks uh, reported you know record record setting earnings and are just starting to gain momentum. So since September of 2020, they're high. Kind of to now, they were actually kind of underperforming a bit. But now they're really gaining momentum after these earnings calls. And I think this is going to drive the market moving forward. So I couldn't be more bullish on that. And I think companies all across the board really are crushing earnings in all industries. Because 20, I mean, 2020 was so bad and ex- expectations were so low. So I think they're, they're really starting to surprise. And that's just going to push the market, you know, farther up. Uh, you know, moving forward. So yeah, I was just going to say, so this is a good example. Like two days ago, Exxon reported that lost 22 billion in 2020. It's worst performance in four decades. And in the three sessions since this report, the stock gained Mm 7.5%. Why is this? Well, last year they're down 36%. And that was their worst annual decline since 1972. Everyone knows 22 was a bad year. So we're kind of expecting, you know, companies to, kind of rebound and that's what's going to really drive the com- drive the markets further yeah just tying it back to the fang stocks you mentioned there i know like i, I don't own many of them i've been wanting to i own the, i own the, have some exposure to them through etfs etc i know i own quite a bit of berkshire hathaway so i have some apple exposure there but uh during the coronavirus i you know i've been a big bull on google i think they're still my favorite one of the fang stocks and or Alphabet is the parent company. Um, And luckily I had been watching them on a watch list for a long time, probably a year and a half. And then when coronavirus hit, they fell significantly. And I think I got, I entered like right at the bottom on like March 19th or 20th, my purchase went through. And yeah, looking to date after their big uh, Q4 beat, they were up 10%, I think in the last week. And I'm up almost 70% on that position that I took last March. So I'm very happy uh, with Google. I'm not adding at the current prices because, you know, as my position size grow, my allocation in my portfolio has also grown. So for me, it's just not something I want to add to. But again, it's not a company I ever plan on selling in the near future. Yeah. Yeah. These stocks are now a quarter of the S&P 500. So, I mean, they run our lives in every way possible. So these are all great stocks to own some, for some people, smaller investors, you have less capital. They're definitely maybe out of your buying range. So that's, that's understandable, but I mean, yeah, that's why you can try capitalize maybe on some smaller cap plays and perfect, but yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's uh, does it for us, Michael. Uh, thanks a lot for listening, everyone. We'll see you next week with another podcast. In the meantime, you can find us on Instagram under the handle at Unbiased Investing. On Twitter, my personal Twitter account is at Unbiased Jesse R. Uh, Mike's 
Twitter account is at unbiasedmikeb. We also have a YouTube channel uh, where we post podcasts and the plan is to post some due diligence videos along with some other personal, personal finance ed education videos. Uh, so that YouTube channel is at Unbiased Investing. And we have recently launched a new website where we post uh, some blog posts. It's at www.unbiasedinvesting.com. We uh, post due diligence of our stocks. Um, we also break down some popular investing articles and offer our own opinions on the research that has been performed. And as a final reminder, this is not financial advice. Please do not take it as such. Everything we say is just our own thought on the market and how we are acting in the market and how we are building wealth over the long term. But for your own financial advice, it must be done on a personalized level. So please don't make any decisions based on what you've heard on this podcast. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.